Previously, on part one of Becoming a Lindstrom. There's not people banging down the doors to take children who are in John's spot. There was no good choices. Nobody was coming up with good choices. And so then my husband and I decided, well, we'll let John stay with us until they come up with a good choice. You're listening to This is Home. This is Home. This is Home. A podcast about families. We're going to be allowed to cry. Brought together through unlikely circumstances. We were lost. There was a few weeks where we didn't know where we would live. And the remarkable relationships they forge. I'm Erica Gerard. And I'm Emily Skihan. What does home mean to you? What does home mean to me? That's my jerk answer. A hammock? Your apartment in Los Feliz. Atwater, let's go. Oh, in Atwater, sorry. Home means safety. Home means comfort. What did the idea home mean to you? Home is pretty much where I feel most comfortable. And I have a home in Arizona with my family. But as of now, I feel like home is Denver for me. Like, I have a pretty close-knit connection of friends and everything that have become just like family and it's starting to become a little bit more comfortable and starting to become a little bit more like family was a little iffy growing up and feeling like I often felt like my friends were more home for me. This is John Lindstrom. It's been 20 years since he was first introduced to the Lindstrom family. He's 26 years old now and lives in Colorado. And in part two of this episode, we'll hear his story about what it was like for him growing up in Arizona. If you haven't listened to part one, it would be helpful to do so for context and a wider range of voices. But this episode also stands on its own. Here's John. I grew up like my first few years in the foster care system. And so my memory is a little iffy and I don't really know if it was a dr- if it's from a dream, if it's from like if it's from my memory, it was like an apartment building. I lived on the second floor. I believe it was my biological mom's place, and I I believe it was an apartment. We lived on the second floor, from what I am picturing and what I remember. I definitely remember it wasn't like the best neighborhood. But there were some other kids that I remember playing with. But like I said, it was real. It's really, really vague. I know that I was really close with my little brother Ben, and he was like the one person that I really remembered, and like was really difficult for me to kind of be separated from him, him and everything. When I think of family from early on, I picture him. I see his dad, JP, and JP's mom, Rosemary. When I think of like my biological family, those are like the people who I tend to think about. A lot of stuff happened in foster care, and then I got separated from Ben, and it just kind of seemed like my whole world shifted a lot. and. I just felt kind of lost, and then it was kind of like a new family came along. If you remember, John's brother Ben was a half-brother. They had the same mom, but different dads. 
and this made adoption to the same family as his brothers complicated. Instead, John started living with the Lindstroms, one of his foster families, who later adopted him. It was difficult in the beginning. Like, I'll fully admit that it didn't feel like family because I had my family, you know what I mean? And so, like, when I started this new chapter with my adopted family, it was tough. Because I went from being the oldest sibling in my adopted or in my biological family, to then I was, like, now the younger sibling of a different family. So the dynamic was just a lot different. And I was already close with my mom because she was my casa in all when all the stuff was going on with the court hearings and, like, foster care. She was my casa, which is a court-appointed special advocate. It almost kind of felt as if there was already a, like looking at it now, it kind of felt like there was already a set rhythm and click. It was like hard for me to find my dynamic in the family. They've all been like grew up with each other. Like I'm coming in five years old, somewhat have a lot of baggage, you know? And so like, I think because of it, I acted out a lot. I made things a little bit difficult for my siblings and they were younger at the time. So because of that, I feel like a lot of, truthfully, if I'm being truthful, because of that, I feel like a lot of damage was kind of done in my early years with my relationships with them. So I never, like even growing up, I never felt like I had the sibling thing that you see in families where it's like, you can talk, you can tell me your secrets, you can like come to me, you know? It was very tough. Like I knew that this was my new normal. So I knew that I had to kind of make this work and I was just so angry about it. And I think that that was part of the reason why I ended up gaining so much weight. From the time John was just seven years old, he struggled with his relationship to food, which served as a kind of coping mechanism for him. It was just kind of like this vicious cycle. I would be like upset about things that were going on or not feeling included by the family. And because of that, I would just try to fill that void or that comfort in whatever I can find. Some people turn to drugs and alcohol and things like that. And it just happened that food was my drug of choice. Here's John's oldest sibling, Chrissy. My mom was trying to address what was clearly some really compulsive behaviors, which was him compulsively eating, stealing food, hiding food. So he he would steal food and, and hoard it in his pockets. So my mom had to cut out all of the pockets of all of his pants at one point. So he wasn't able to have pockets because he kept he kept on taking food and, and hoarding it, just in this very compulsive, needing to have it type of way. It wasn't like, he was obviously eating every day. It wasn't like he was, you know, not getting the food that he needed, but there was something about the stealing and the way that he was eating the food, which was what my mom was trying to address. And I knew he came from either a neglectful or, or abusive home and I don't think they were eating regularly. So I thought maybe he was taking food at least initially to just ensure that he always had food, that he wouldn't starve. But I think 
that ultimately it turned into one of the many things that my mom and John fought about. John was a defiant kid. Food wasn't only a coping mechanism. Eating what he wanted whenever he wanted became his own form of protest against whatever was upsetting him at the time. I was like, I don't have to be a part of this family if I don't want to. And there were times I didn't talk to mom and dad for good months at a time. And even still, mom continued to like reach out, you know, and kind of talk and and say things when she had time to kind of cool off as well. Because it was it was definitely both sided. I would say hurtful things and then mom's feelings would be hurt. So then she would kind of come back at it. And it was just this nasty back and forth. I felt like I was an issue and not a family member almost, you know. And so because of that, I was angry. And I will fully admit that. And like when I would go home, I was still angry. I would still not put in the effort because I everything that had happened just made it difficult for me to even really want it. Things were dark at home. But luckily, John found a lifeline outside the home. A young man named Troy, who led a local youth-based community organization and came to speak at one of John's high schools. Troy was 24, and John thought he had a great way with the students. So John started hanging out with this organization, and Troy became a mentor to John. For me in the past, Troy was somebody who mom trusted because he was with the Young Life organization, so mom knew that Troy was a good guy. So like growing up, mom didn't really let me go out and hang with friends or anything because she, and I mean, I was hanging out with some bad influences here and there. Mom just didn't trust the people that I had in my life, but she trusted Troy. So it was cool because anytime I told mom it was something with Troy, she would totally let me go because he was like, for her, a good influence in my life. And so Troy was somebody who I always had. And he even told me, don't ever feel like you have no place to go. Don't ever feel like my door is never open to you. Like I'll always be somebody that you have in your corner. And so he had told me that when things were probably at the worst point. After John was asked to leave his second high school in less than two years, and the scary incident that Chrissy mentioned in part one, where he shut down traffic and had a bad run-in with police on a Phoenix freeway, a judge ordered respite care for the Lindstroms and a group home placement for John. So John went to Canyon State Boarding School at the age of 16. And his lifeline, Troy was assigned as John's mentor, which provided a great deal of comfort to John during this particularly difficult transition. He was there for a year and a half in total, and for much of that time, John was denied weekend visits because his behavior was so bad. But he was still allowed to see Troy, since Troy was listed as his mentor. And there were numerous times where he worked it out with the school that I was gone for a weekend so I could go to Young Life Camp. He he would take me out for pizza. And so Troy, for me, felt like he was the person in my darkest times that was there for me and was the person I had. But as comforting as Troy was for John, he still struggled with resentment towards Jill and her husband Joe for sending him to boarding school in the first place. He felt abandoned. Because they continue to say, oh, we're doing this because we care. We're out of options, and if we didn't care, we wouldn't do this. 
but I took it as they didn't want me in their life. Wow. <laughs> Intense. This is really hard to hear. It is. It's really hard. It's a lot of loss, a lot of change, and in a, you know, relatively short amount of time. I really feel for John. Adolescence is hard, period. And then couple that with all the trauma from his early childhood and then being away from his adoptive parents during his teenage years. Just, wow, tough. Yeah, it's really tough. And it was tough on everyone. I really feel for the Lindstroms, too. You know, they're good people just trying to do the best they could for their family. Of course. You know, I think it's just hard all around. You have these adoptive parents who love their kids so much. This kid who's been through so much pain and is naturally acting out because of this pain. And the adoptive parents, you know, they're not social workers. They don't know exactly how to handle it. Mm -hmm. Emily, you've spent a lot of time working on foster care issues. Have you noticed any patterns with John's story that you've seen pop up in other families? Oh my gosh, all of it. The food hoarding thing happens a lot. Really? Absolutely. You know, most foster kids, or a lot of foster kids, had a period where they didn't know where their next meal was going to come from. A lot of them spent a lot of their childhood hungry. It's unfortunately something that they probably weren't teaching 20 years ago when John was a kid, but mm -hmm. it's totally normal. Hmm. So what do they say you should do if your kid hoards food? They say you should just let your kid hoard it, you know, let them keep some snacks under the bed. Let them have that feeling of safety until their body recognizes that they're not going to go hungry anymore. And, you know, no judgment on the Lindstroms because they probably weren't teaching them at the time. And I'm sure Jill was relying on her natural instincts of what to do for her child. Mm -hmm. That's a tough one because, you you know, keep in mind she has five kids in the house and each kid has, you know, their own needs to feel safe and loved. It's hard. It must be hard to know what's best for the entire family. Absolutely. So it all works out for John, right? Because we're always supposed to have perfect, happy endings on this podcast, right? <laughs> well, we'll get to that. And on that note, how about we share some of the listener feedback that we got about our first episode? Yes, I loved this note from listener Luna. She said, fascinating story, because there's this fantasy that we all kind of believe that once a kid is adopted, he's been saved. Like, that's it. The troubles are over. Every subsequent encounter is going to be full of love and gratitude, and Harvard is on the horizon. Hearing the Lindstrom story, it is clear that nothing is all that clear. We've also heard from a few listeners who said that they were thinking of fostering or adopting, and that they'll be listening closely to the stories that we share on This Is Home. So please continue to send us your comments and feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Now back to the story. After getting his high school diploma, John auditioned several times to be on a popular reality weight loss show called The Biggest Loser. He wanted to lose weight, and the idea of having six months to focus on himself was really appealing. Not to mention, he dug the cool factor of potentially being on TV. Although he didn't get on The Biggest Loser, 
the production company asked him to audition for a brand new reality show, also focused on weight loss, called Heavy. He submitted a video, and he was selected. At the time he went on Heavy, he was 415 pounds. It was a transformational experience in every way. And by the time he left the show, he had lost 150 pounds. Here's John. I turned 20 on the show, so it was from 19 to 20. And still at that point, mom and dad and our relationship with the family was still a little rocky. And so kind of processing that with a lot of the anger I felt towards my biological mom, processing all this stuff that I felt like I had just happened to me. And so I knew on the show... In order to be successful, we're going to have to really talk about these issues head on. And one of the people I met on the show, her name was Jessica Lynn. She ended up being my health counselor for the six months that I was there. Well, one of the cool things with her was that she was also adopted. So she kind of understood the struggle of feeling that like bit of unknown or feeling that missing piece. So working with her a lot to push through some of the struggles I had with mom and dad, I think is kind of where we started. And I kind of got to process my anger a little bit. And I, I explained to her that a lot of it came from me feeling misunderstood by the family, me feeling like me, me feeling as if growing up, it was always like me against the rest of and I think it took me a while to kind of process that that was actually what I was using food for was to kind of like stuff all those feelings down, you know, and I didn't really want to admit that. But that was part of the whole changing process. That was part of the whole. Yeah, the whole process in general was just really focusing on figuring out why all that anger was there. Because at this point, I had learned enough that I, and I had wanted it enough that I wanted that closeness with the family. But what do you think made you want that closeness with the family? Or do you think that you always wanted that? I've always wanted it. You know, I've, and I think that was something that I struggled with because I didn't know how to really vocalize it and say like, hey, I want to be close with you or hey, I'm driving you guys nuts because... I want to be understood and I want to be accepted and things like that. I think that I was realizing, well, when I'm acting out, at least people are noticing me and at least people are paying attention. There was a therapist there, but I didn't talk to her as much as Jessica Lynn, but I just felt more comfortable with her versus any of the other times in the past when mom and dad would like force me to go to therapy or when I was in group homes or within foster care and I was ordered to go do these things it was different then versus why was it different um I think it was different because at a young age it was like somewhat forced you know they're like okay you're dealing with these things you're clearly having issues. We're going to send you to a therapist because clearly you need to work it out. Whereas come 19, when I 
auditioned for this weight loss show and I decided I'm going to make this change and I'm doing it for me, I think there was a big difference in that. And I knew as difficult as it was going to be to talk with Jessica, I knew that it was something that I needed to do if I wanted to lose this weight and keep it off for good. And luckily, it just so happened that that pairing really worked because I think that was also important. She made it clear that she cared. She made it clear that she was really listening. So I remember in particular, there was one point where, and this was even on the show, where I kind of talked to Jessica and I was like, hey, I want to write this letter to my parents to have them know these are my plans for the future. I want their support. I want them to be proud of me. And I took so much time and like pride in making sure that it was well written, well, that they really got the point that I want this change. And I think halfway through this process, the production crew flies mom and dad out. And so I was able to read that letter and everything. And just seeing mom then when they came out and visited was the first time I was like, something's changing because mom was smiling. When I read the letter, I could tell mom kind of had mixed feelings when we first started, but by the end she was smiling. I saw a little bit of tears in her eyes and she was clearly seeing that this process was really helping me, not just with the weight loss, on the show I realized if I want this and if I want this family, I'm in, instead of pointing out why I feel like everyone else is making me feel like the odd one out and I'm like, I want them to accept me and I want them to include me in things. So one of the things that I was learning and I talked through with Jessica was, what can I do differently to show that I want this? Because at that point, so much damage had been done that I honestly felt like <laughs> there could possibly be like no family in the near future. So to really process that through with her and to kind of explain where a lot of this anger came from, it was tough. There were numerous times where I like broke down crying because... I didn't want to be such an angry person and I didn't want the family's perception of me to be such a negative perception. But at the same time, I struggled with not knowing how to fix it and not knowing how to change that perception of John. He's just an angry, disrespectful young kid. And it happened up in, like I said, 18, 19, I still wasn't there. So now being 26... It's worked, you know, everything that I learned about really what can I do has changed the family's relationship completely. I love being around everyone. I love coming home for family events. Like I get happy when I think about family nowadays. These days, the Lindstrom family are closer than ever. I sat down with John and Jill together as they reflected on the evolution of their relationship. I wanted John to grow up thinking he was one of the kids. That was always my goal. But I did realize, again, since I had five children at the time and they all grew into these different people with these different ideas, these different problems and issues and 
I think with John, it was crystal clear that each of the kids has their own gift. And because John was struggling in so many areas, I really did try to let a lot of things go and just focus on what I thought his gifts were and to remind John what his gifts were. And at the same time, I had to look at all of the kids because I was so overwhelmed. I had five of them. There was a shift in parenting, which I think is completely due to John, that it was important to find what made each child special. I think that started with John because when he was so rebellious, it was important for me to find something every day that John did right. And some days that was really difficult because you tend to remember what drives you crazy. You tend to remember the phone call from the principal. You tend to remember the failing grade. So that's really one of the big things I learned from John. And in turn, I think it helped all the kids. I know that it, I didn't make her parenting job easy by any means. And so I think that I'm thankful for the fact that how rebellious and how disrespectful I was that looking back on it now, I know mom and dad did what they thought was best. And even now, like, I, she's just kind of told me, like, the past is the past. Just leave it behind us. Like, we don't need to really dwell that much on it. All the negative stuff already happened, but we're pretty happy, I would say, with where our relationship is now. John told me about one particular happy weekend when his other older sister, Bethany, got married in San Diego. It was a turning point for John, time he spent being social, hanging out, and playing games with the Lindstroms. It was a real feeling of family. But sadly, the person he wanted to share the good news with more than anyone, his mentor, Troy, had passed away from cancer. I was on the plane ride back to Denver, just kind of reminiscing about that weekend. And I started crying on the plane because I was just kind of looking out the window and just kind of seeing this night sky, the stars, the moon was super bright. And so I started thinking about him and thinking like, man, if he was here, I know that when I would land in Denver, like if he, if he was still alive, I would have called him and been like, I had the best weekend ever. Bethany's wedding weekend was the beginning of a fresh start for John and his family. And six months later, there would be cause for another celebration. The wedding of John's oldest sister, Chrissy. Here's my conversation with her. So you're getting married. So I'm getting married, yeah. And do you think that's had any effect on the family dynamics? You know, I don't know if it's really my wedding, but in the past year, we've had lots of family stuff happening. So Beth and my sister got married, and my brother Tyler and his wife had a baby. So we've seen a lot of one another, a lot more than we usually do in the past year. And that's been really nice. And that has been, that has certainly changed the family dynamic. Like, I just feel like we're all a lot closer. 
And my wedding just seems like a continuation of that. So it feels to me like an opportunity to keep that momentum of closeness going, which is really nice. And John's been a, a total part of that. John has actually been, to me, such a blessing of this wedding experience. He's been such a pivotal part of my getting married experience. It's made me really feel bad for girls that don't have brothers that really want to help you find a wedding dress and like set up a Pinterest page for you and all that shit. It's made me feel like I am so lucky and blessed to have him as part of this process. So all things considered, how do you think John turned out? Oh, I think John turned out to be an amazing man and very Lindstrom actually. How so? Because he's so much fun. (laughs) I feel like the real identifiable characteristic of my family, honestly, is they're just all up for a good time pretty much all the time. So, and they all like to really have fun. And John is totally like that. He's always down to get people together and laugh and just like hang out and have a drink or play a game or whatever. And that to me, from my perspective, is is very Lindstrom and very authentic to John. That and he's super independent and really a strong believer in his own ideas which I also think is pretty consistent with our family. Mm -hmm. You know, like my parents always raised us to be independent thinkers and to follow through with our own voice. And I think John, probably more so than, than many of us, has had to really fight for that voice. And I'm just so proud of him. I'm so proud of him for doing that. He's developed a a real grace and gentleness in his ability to do that, Um, probably birthed of years of anger and conflict, is that he has a real ability now to just be like really graceful with his opinions and who he is and his identity. Why do you think that it worked out for your family, but it doesn't necessarily work out for all families? I think part of it is um, patience. You know, I think part of it is that my parents just gave a lot more time. You know, they were 10 years in and things were still pretty shitty. Um, I would actually say that was probably the climax of when things were looking really bad. And I know plenty of stories um, of families that have adopted children and things get really rough and they end up severing or canceling or whatever the the terminology is, canceling the adoption and sending the kid back. And I think, um, I think that would have been really easy for our family to do given what we were all living through at the time and no one would have blamed them. And I think it would have been, I don't even think John would have blamed them. You know, I think it would have been a totally acceptable response But I'm just so, so endlessly thankful that they didn't do that because we never would have gotten to all the good stuff if they had. Everything I would have lost personally, like in my wedding, not having my brother there. And it just makes me so sad to think about the possibility of not being able to have him in my life the way he is now if we hadn't pushed through 
Yeah. So I, but I don't know if you could characterize that as actual advice. You know, I could never look at another family that's struggling and be like, no, 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 you just have to stick with it. You know, like what an insensitive piece of advice I think that is. I can only say from my personal experience that it actually took a good 15 years for the integration process to feel more complete. And, and had we not, or really had my parents, but all of us, not dedicated that type of time, we never would have gotten to where we are today, which is such a beautiful place. And my mom has even said, I know I've made mistakes with you. I know that there were some things that I could have looked back and like, if I could change, I would. But that's what parenting is. That's what family is. You just kind of have to roll with the punches. And pretty recently, like when we were talking about me coming here to LA to help dress shop with Chrissy um, my mom posted something about a post on Facebook about how happy she was and she was just like and I can't like I can't wait to see you you know and so like it's just the relationship has changed so much that it's in a good place you know and I really feel happy with life Song, co-director of Family Story and an expert on family and culture. She'll share her thoughts on why there's more than one right way to be a family. And she's fascinating. Trust me, you don't want to miss it. Thanks for listening to This Is Home. We're so excited you're joining us in exploring all of the delicate, lovely, and messy parts of family. Thank you again to the Lindstroms for sharing your story with us. This is Home is Erica Gerard, Emily Skihan, and Christina Lindstrom. Our sound engineer is Juan Borda at Harmonic Studios. Music by Jonathan Maness. Logo and site design, Lane Carlsness at Broadsheet Design. We want to hear from you. Leave us your comments, questions, or stories about family by emailing us at hello at thisishomepodcast.org or on Facebook and Twitter at thisishomecast. Our website is thisishomepodcast.org. Until next time, here's a little clip from wedding dress shopping. Yeah. Mom finds herself so funny. She's laughing at all her jokes this weekend. And then I realized I was in front of the mirror and that when she was looking that direction, she wouldn't see the mirror, she would see me. Yeah. I like this one better. Yeah. Let me see. Yeah. You think this is the dress? I think this is a. Are you going to say yes to the dress? Yeah, I think I like this one better. Okay, let's ask her. Yay! Yay! I'm so excited!